Amen. Good morning. We're going to James 1, and we'll start this morning in verse 19. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to minister to us today. Lord, we need you. We ask that you would soften our hearts, Lord. Would you mold us, shape us, mature us in the faith? Would you lead us in this time? We love your word. We're honored, Lord, to gather and hear it. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. And all the saints say, amen, amen. We've talked before about Andrew Murray. Um, he was the missionary in South Africa, born in 1828. Wrote a ton on prayer. His books on prayer are beautiful, really um, profound. His book called Humility is it's probably my favorite. It's a short read. Um, go ahead and go to amazon.com. Okay. And put it in your, in your cart. Um, it's a beautiful one. Uh, he, he talks about Christ, uh, humility being the attribute, which led him to be born in human flesh. Uh, he humbled himself even, even further, uh, by becoming a servant. He humbled himself even further by, uh, going to the cross in obedience and that Christ's humility ultimately led to our salvation. And in the Christian life, Andrew Murray argues, um, Profoundly in the Christian life, humility is the attribute that must be cherished and pursued above all else. I thought about that this week as I read our lines from James that we'll study. We're going to be in verse 19 through 27 today. And uh, I thought about a chapter where Andrew Murray talks about the disciples and their call to humility. He's going to make the argument that the disciples of Jesus had a sincere faith, a sincere religion. They loved Jesus. They ministered in power. But even in their lifetime, he says, we, we see them bickering about who's the greatest. We see them fighting about uh, who will sit at the right or left hand of Jesus. And what he says, and I'll read it to you here, is that even in their sincere commitment to Christ, there lied an underlying dark an underlying arrogance that still needed to be sifted. He wrote this, how much there may be of earnest and active religion while humility is still sadly wanting. He says, see it in the disciples. There was in them fervent attachment to Jesus. They had forsaken all for him. The father had revealed to them that he was the Christ of God. They believed in him. They loved him. They obeyed his commandments. They had forsaken all to follow him. When others went back, they claved to him or clung to him. They were ready to die with him. But deeper down than all of this, there was a dark power of the existence and the hideousness of which they were hardly conscious, which had to be slain and cast out before they could be the witnesses of the power of Jesus to save. It is even so still. We may find professors and ministers, evangelists and workers, missionaries and teachers, in whom the gifts of the Spirit are many and manifest, and who are the channels of blessing to multitudes, but of whom, when the testing time comes, or closer intercourse gives fuller knowledge, it is only too painfully manifest that the grace of humility as an abiding characteristic is scarce to be seen. All tends to confirm the lesson that humility is one of the chief and the highest graces, one of the most difficult to attain, 
one to which our first and chiefest efforts ought to be directed, one that only comes in power when the fullness of, of the Spirit makes us partakers of the indwelling Christ, and he lives within us. Murray is saying that you'll see, you'll see pastors, evangelists, missionaries who operate in the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, who have a sincere zeal, but oftentimes there still lies even deeper the arrogance and the pride of hell, which can pollute and dilute their ministry. He says, when you get to know them closer, he uses the word closer intimacy and more frequent intimacy, oftentimes you'll see this arrogance lying still. He's saying that in the disciples' life, while they ministered in power, they still bicker. The ministry, their, their ministry became an opportunity for competition. They, they, they healed the sick, they preached the gospel, but at the end of the day, they did these things while waiting to argue about who was better at it. Angie Murray goes on to say that we receive arrogance, pride, is kind of the chief sin we inherit from Adam. And that in the Christian life, at some point, the only way to really achieve humility is to receive it directly from the second Adam, from Christ. You have to kill the arrogance that we receive from the first man and learn to lean into the humility we receive from the second. Now, thus far in our study, we've said that James writes characteristically with the style of wisdom literature. It feels like Proverbs. We've said that um, James is going to give us these short thoughts that are easy to memorize, that we can recall, and that will aid us in our walk with uh, walk in holiness. But thus far, we've seen that in the first cha- first half of the first chapter, there there really is still a theme. And so, in one one sense, he's talking about different things. But there's a theme that, that overarches. Now, sometimes my wife does this to me, okay? She talks to me about 24 different things, and I have to have the great discernment to find the overarching theme. It's a game we play, I think. <laughs> That's kind of how James is writing. And so, um, thus far, the real theme has been trials, right? We've talked so much about trials. Christians are not exempt from trials. You must persevere through trials and suffering and recognize that in trials, suffering, fire, God is shaping us. From here, he's going to shift and the theme is going to become about being doers of the word. Okay. Not just being hearers or listeners, but doers. That becomes the, uh, the kind of thrust. And we're recognizing that God has not called us. He didn't call you to just sit and listen to the word, but he called you to become healthy soil that receives the seed of the word and allows it to transform your life. But he's going to say that some of us are, 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 we're still too ate up with pride to listen to the word as if it's actually talking to us. Does that make sense? Some of us still sit and hear sermons and always think it's for your wife. It might be, but it's also to you. Um, so let's read again. We're going to jump, uh, a bit today. We're going to, we're going to read a couple different topics. But we're going to do our best to retrieve the overarching theme, which is that we need to we need to be doers. We need to allow the word to actually shape us and mold us. Now, let me say this before we go f- further. Um, 
in Murray's idea that the disciples walked in the gifts and the power of the spirit, uh, ministered effectively, yet still were ate up with pride. I suspect that in the days to come, nationally, politically, culturally, we're experiencing a shift. Um, I don't see that shift slowing down. Christianity is becoming less and less mainstream. I don't see, unless, unless the Lord send Holy Ghost revival, which is obviously our prayer. Um, but oftentimes, God sends revival even while the church is being persecuted and rejected. Okay, it's in the nations where, I was talking to someone this week, um, in the nations where the scriptures are illegal, that Christianity is growing the fastest. Um, so what does that mean? That they're experiencing persecution and a rejection while God's using them. That may be where we're going. Now, I suspect that we'll need the gifts and the power of the Spirit as much as ever. I think we need the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to show the glory of Jesus. We cannot be a cessationist church any longer. We don't even have that option. We cannot be a church who says, we believe the Bible, but the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything anymore. Um, I don't even know that that's an option. Okay? Um, so in one on one hand, we've got to have the power of the Spirit. But what I think we're seeing in the text today and what I suspect... What I suspect is that if we don't lean in and grow in maturity and allow the spirit to actually um, mature us into discipleship, we can have the gifts and the power of the spirit. And then when things get rough, we'll backbite and devour one another. We've seen that over and over in the charismatic movement. Churches that have great gifts and great power. And the moment things get a little tense, they chew each other up and spit each other out. And so what I think we're seeing in the text today and what we see Andrew Murray trying to encourage us is we've got to lean into the gifts of the power of the spirit and lean into the ministry of the spirit to make us mature disciples because things are going to get harder. And if we don't grow in maturity, we'll chew each other up and spit each other out, backbite and devour. And so James is saying, and Andrew Murray is saying, and the spirit saying, lean into my power, lean into the gifts, grow in, in the ministry and how to minister, but even further and deeper, we've got to make sure that the spirit has the right, that we've softened our hearts enough to allow him to, to really disciple us and to shake off our arrogance, to shake off our pride, to become more like Jesus. And if we'll do that, then when the going gets rough, we'll have the power of the spirit, revival and unity. And, and that's, I think that's something we need to lean into and a lesson we need to learn. Is that okay so far? All right, James 1, 19 through 27, multiple topics. We're going to find the theme here, like a good argument with Haley, okay? Um, just, I'm just teasing. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness, or with humility, gentleness, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Receive with humility, meekness, gentleness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. First, let me just take some time to acknowledge here that there is a, there is a contextual clue that we haven't yet addressed in our series. We've, again, so far we've talked about trials. And contextually, we've talked a lot about the trials that the Jerusalem church, the, the church in Judea, was experiencing. We said they had famine. We said they had persecution, financial hardship. That's a contextual clue that relates to trials. There's another contextual clue that James gives us, a theme that he hits over the, the period of the epistle that we've yet to, to address. And it's this, that the, the church in Jerusalem seems to be dealing with... Um, quarreling. They, James is going to tell us on several instances to make sure that we're not a people of prejudice. He's going to talk about classism. He's going to continually address the idea of the tongue. We'll step into that next week. James is the famous uh, writer who talks to us about our speech and needing to bridle the tongue. And then James 4.1 really gives us a clue where James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And so when you kind of step back, lean out, and look at the overarching theme where James is talking about classism, prejudice, the tongue, the need to bridle the tongue, and then he starts to say, what causes fights among you, quarrels among you? We see that the church at Jerusalem is experiencing some relational tension, some bickering, some backbiting, some quarreling. Uh, the church... The true church will always experience quarreling and backbiting because the true church is called to real fellowship. Now, I read this this week and my immediate response is we don't really have that much quarreling. We don't, I, I don't really have that much bickering. There are moments where I have to work stuff out, but for the most part, we have good peace and unity. And I felt the spirit poke at me, you know, you ever get poked? You just say, yes, sir. Um, I felt the spirit poke me and say, um, sometimes churches in the West have a measure of peace. They seem to have a measure of unity, but in reality, it's because they lack any sincere fellowship. Does this make sense? Like the early church, the church at Jerusalem, they were having dinner together on a regular basis. They were really doing life together. Families fight, right? Families have moments. Uh, again, in the Allen daycare, that's what I call my house. Um, at the Allen daycare, there's just way too much time spent together to not rub each other wrong. Okay. And I think the spirit was poking me to say that in, in Western faith, uh, you guys know this. Have you ever seen studies where it's like, um, in the early, uh, 20th century, the early 1900s, uh, there were front porches, but, but then we started doing back patios, uh, pull into the garage, shut the garage, go inside. Like we, we started to lean more and more into individualism and we stopped doing relationship as much. We worked long hours and then we wanted to be left alone when we got home. Um, 
It's easier to not have any relational problems when you don't have any relationships. Okay, that, that, that was to me. I felt the spirit point that at me. So I just lobby it to you. You can decide if you're going to wear it or not, but that was to me. Um, and so the first thing is let's not jump to conclusion that we are more mature or more holy than the early church at Jerusalem because we have less quarreling. The, the, the issue might be that we have less relationship. And it's actually what we're going to see in the text today is that it's in the quarreling that God intends to advance their discipleship if they'd walk in humility. And so the first thing James says is, be slow to speak and quick to listen, for the anger of man does not produce holiness or the righteousness of God. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. This is a Christian practice, a Christian um, commandment. We do well to get back to the idea of growing in Christian disciplines. That's really discipleship, right? Growing in the disciplines of the faith. The one Christian discipline is to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Now, what this does not mean is that if you're like chatty, again, to Haley's not here today. She's here somewhere. I don't know where she, but when she's not in the room, that gives me the right to talk about her more. Okay. Um, my, my wife is the talker. I'm not the talker, right? She likes to talk about food. I don't know if you know Cajun people, but while they're eating lunch, they're all talking about what's for dinner. Um, it's just, it's true. It's so true. I'm not joking about that. Um, which is why I immediately started putting on weight the moment we got married. Uh, she likes to talk about food. She likes to talk about history, World War II, one, any, uh, European war. She likes to talk about those things. She likes to talk about books. Um, there's nothing unholy about these kinds of convert, like, like being someone who likes to talk and share life with other people is fine. The context here is in the midst of quarreling. Okay, and so uh, sometimes we have the idea that we're more holy if we're quiet. Um, if that was true, I would win, okay? I would win. Uh, but that's not always the case, okay? The context is in the midst of fighting. Okay, I, Caleb, is quieter, but when Caleb gets mad, I probably talk first before Haley. So Haley is holier. Um, I've never said that before. I feel like I need to wash my tongue off for... <laughs> So the context is in the midst of quarreling. It is Christian to slow down and listen and to try to hear perspective and to allow others to correct you. It is Christian to be willing to be wrong. What we do and we all do is we have a, a moment or a fight with someone or a disagreement with someone. We go home. The, the enemy takes us to this place where we roll over it and then we demonize the person that we're quarreling with, we, right? We make we take something that's maybe a level two fight, and now it's a 12 in our minds, and we start to build our arguments, build uh, like as if we're going to stand before the Supreme Court, build our case, and then when we go to talk to the brother or sister the next time, we unravel and spill all of our frustration. And everything we're doing there is trying to prove that we're right and why we're right. 
and we're not trying to learn. And what we're seeing birth from the text here is that God is actually concerned with us learning. The end aim of the Spirit's work in my life is Christian maturity, is Christ's likeness. And when Christ's likeness is the Spirit's aim, then it must become my aim, right? I don't get to have a different goal than the Holy Spirit. I have to bend to his aim. And so if our aim now must be Christ's likeness, then when I walk into fiery moments or frustrations or disagreements with brothers and sisters in the faith, I must be open to the idea that the Spirit might want to teach me something in this moment. And I need to listen. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Pride, arrogance demands to be heard. Humility is willing to hear and grow in the aim is holiness. I don't need to say that that doesn't, when he says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, he is not saying that that there is no such thing as righteous anger. Ephesians tells us to be angry. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and sin not. And so there is a place of righteous anger and righteous frustration. But I will say that you have to be very, very discerning and holy to live there for very long. Okay, and so there, there is an anger where we in prayer see injustice, right? Like... um a child is abused and you grow with frustration. There is a righteous anger that leads us to act. But even there, you better be, you better learn to forgive and you have to be quick to, um, to show grace because even in this kind of righteous anger, we can slide really quick into self-righteous pride and find ourselves working against the spirit rather than working with the spirit. Vengeance is mine, says God. Vengeance is coming and is holy. Um, it's too holy for you, though. Does this make sense? Vengeance, justice will come, but we're not, we don't always have the grace, uh, and we're not actually not called or allowed to be the ones who, who pass it out. So the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man, when you have conflict, will not lead you to holiness. That's literally what's being said here. If you are a person who has conflict with the church, the saints, and you will sooner or later, you're actually called to, okay? It's actually like a command to live life with Christians close enough that at times you have disagreements and you love each other in humility enough to grow from it. You're actually called to that. But if you're a person who lays in the bed at night and allows anger to steamroll over you, you are not growing in holiness. You're not. You're probably growing in arrogance. So next he says, so be slow to speak, quick to listen, humble, learn. And the next thing he says, put away all wickedness. And receive with meekness, that word is translated in some translations, humility, sometimes gentleness. Meekness, humility, gentleness, you get the idea. Receive with meekness the implanted word. 
So the word of God, and I think James might have in mind here the parable of the sower, right? The word is sown. The word of God is sown and planted. Make sure you, in meekness and in humility and gentleness, your heart is good soil to receive the work that the spirit is sowing your way. You're going to need humility to come to the word in the morning, read it, and read it in such a posture that it is allowed to confront you, to shape you, that this word is allowed to talk to you about your own issues, your own sin, and it's, a, and it's given the right to conform you into the image of Christ. One of the greatest issues we have today is constantly wanting to tell the word what the word says. We've got to come to it and say to the word, tell me, tell me most holy, inspired, infallible scriptures. Tell me what you see. In humility, I, I, gosh, I've, I've come through a season. You know you have seasons with the Lord. I'm walking, I hope I'm at the end of, in Jesus' name. Someone prophesied that, I'll pay you $10. Um, joke. Um, I'm coming through a season of of the Lord showing me some, some places in my own heart that I'm honestly a bit embarrassed of. Do you guys ever, you walk with the Lord, you should have these seasons where... You say some, you say something in passing that you shouldn't have said, just dumb, or you, um, you, you got mad or whatever. I've, I've had some embarrassing moments and I've always prayed and said, I love the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. I've got to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. When it comes, it stings. <laughs> And the like, the the zealous, young, passionate Christian in me wants it. Yes, I want it. And then it comes and it... And I was laying on the altar last night. Seth and I were here praying. And I was laying on the altar last night praying, God, I still want it. Maybe not as passionately as I did yesterday. Does this make sense? But I've been in that place in my life where God, I still want your conviction. I'm still willing to walk with you. I'm still willing to look at the hard places in my heart. I'm still willing to repent. I don't think that I'm so mature or so self-righteous that I'm beyond the place of needing to grow. Lord, I'm still willing to grow. My heart's yours. Poke me, probe me. Um, we must, we must stay in that place. We have to. We don't have an option. We don't have the option to not grow anymore. We don't, especially what's with what's coming down the pipe. You're going to have to learn to be mature Christians, which means allowing the spirit to touch things in your life that you don't necessarily want to see. So he's saying with humility, with great lowliness, you have to, you, you cannot think too highly of yourself with humility. Allow the word to work in your life. Now, um, I think in commentators, Church Fathers, Augustine, on this passage, a lot of them believed that, or maybe in a, in a 
a selfish way. The preachers have used this text in the context of preaching, right? I'm sharing the word and you need to be humble enough to hear it. I think that that application works and from it works for me too, right? Like I need to have people in my life, pastors in my life who I listen to and believe that God is speaking to me. There is this theme shaking out in the text that when you come to the word in your private study and when you come to the word in the corporate setting, gathering, you need to, to listen as if God is speaking to you. I need to listen as if God is speaking to me. And we need to wear, own, you know, we, we, we used to always say that, um, that old saying, you know, that when, whenever, um, whenever uh, someone confronts a group, the people that need to hear it, assume you're talking about someone else. And the people that don't need to hear it, lay on the ground and cry for three weeks because they feel like you fussed at them. Um, that is just the case. That is basic humanity 101. Um, we've got to mature to the place where when the Spirit is speaking to us, we hear it. We're willing to listen. We're willing to allow it to cut. So I think that James may have in mind, and maybe the church fathers like to teach it this way out of their uh, own bias, he may have in mind when the word is proclaimed in a preaching setting, you need to not be looking around. He must be talking to them. Certainly he's not talking about me. Certainly this word is not for me. I'm above this. It, it is saying, get lower and, and maybe just open up to the idea that m- maybe you need to change. Well, you should, Siri. You should understand that. Repent, Siri, repent. (laughs) Siri needs Jesus. She needs Jesus. Okay, from here, as we, as we kind of carry this thought, right, we're, we're trying to find the theme. When we carry this thought into the idea of being doers of the word and not hearers only, we, we realize that those who hear the word, read the word, listen to it, preach, sung, you know, sing the word, that, that we, we're, he's not just calling us to practice Christianity, although he is, certainly. Um, he's going to turn next week and say, true religion is caring for the orphans and the widows. So he, he is calling us to practice, but I think that he is calling us to a place where we are not just expressing righteous acts, but where we get to the place where the Spirit actually is making us internally righteous. And we, you know, we're not just talking about what we do, but what we are. You guys with me? He's calling us to be Christ-like and then express Christ-likeness. But if we're just hearers, we just listen to it preach, listen to it, listen to it being read. We just listen to the proclamation of the word. And then we get up and go home and go to work on Monday and never meditate on it, never chew on it, never consider whether or not God's asking us to grow. If we just allow the word to slide in this year and out that year and go on about our way, we're never really transformed by the ministry of this word. 
Does this make sense? I think so much of what James is saying is you need to let the word work in your life. And if you let this word work in your life, then you will begin to express. Then you'll, you'll come to the place of doing. But so many of us, he's saying, so many of us, so many Christians, they just sit down here, pass through one side and out the other, and they go about their way as if they're not actually in a process of growing as disciples. He's reminding us that you were called to discipleship. And, and whether or not you actually believe this, you have not arrived. I thought I arrived last month and then I got through the, get into this mess that I've been in with the Lord. And then I realized that I hadn't. You have not arrived. And where we are today, we are not mature enough believers to triumph over what's coming down the pipe. We must grow. We need to grow in the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, yes. We need to grow in our teaching gifts. We need to grow in all of our external ministry gifts, yes. But the call here is to grow in our, in our hearts. Internally, you must be more like Jesus. And then he goes to this analogy. Now, this analogy of people, a man who comes to the mirror, looks in the mirror. I read a million different commentators, scholars, church fathers this week because people interpret this passage a hundred different ways, trying to see if there's a consistent interpretation. And, and there are a few that seem to rule the, rule the, the nest. Is that the right saying? Just say yes, Shed, right? Thank you. Some say that what James is saying is that the man, a man who comes to a mirror and looks at himself and then walks away really quickly will forget what's seen. Um, do you ever, like, again, in the Allen daycare, when we're getting ready for school and getting ready to go in the morning, um, my wife says this to kids often. Did you look at yourself today? She always, like, it's probably a daily thing. Do, do you realize what your hair looks like? You, you desperately need work, okay? She never says it to me because I'm stunning, okay? Just <laughs> totally stunning. Or because I wear a hat every day, I'm not sure. Um, that idea may be what's at work here. He's, he's saying that in a rush, you, you look at the mirror and walk away and forget that there's a lot you needed to work on. There's, there are some things that you needed to work out. And that man goes away oblivious. Others emphasize the, um, the looking and that it's, it's not just that you look quickly, but that you didn't, uh, intently actually gaze. And so the idea is that there's one man who, who looks in a mirror, but is not actually paying attention, not really gazing. And he walks away unaffected by the revelation the mirror was trying to give. But another man, he says, looks into the law of liberty intently. Other people will, this is the analogy, other people will come to the Bible, will come to the corporate gathering to hear preaching or to sing the word, and they will, they will stop long enough, gaze long enough, and think about what's being said. They'll consider, they'll ponder, they'll meditate upon. And when they get up and leave the mirror, they won't forget what it said. 
And so James is calling us to, when we come to this word, when we come to hear, to, to gaze, to ponder, to think about, to leave the corporate gathering, leave the church with the word of God rolling in the back of your mind and allow it to, to kind of simmer over your heart. And when it calls you to change, when the word calls you to repentance, those who really look at it today, we're talking about being slow to speak. Some will sit through the sermon and you'll go home and you'll have some kind of fight with your neighbor or with your wife. You'll have a little argument. And then the first thing you'll do is rush to prove your point as if we didn't just have this talk. Okay. I've got kids that way, right? Others will allow it to, to, to permeate. And tomorrow you'll go to work and your boss will raise his voice at you. And you'll have an opportunity to either respond in the same pattern that you've responded with for the last 30 years. Or the word will work in your heart and you'll lower yourself, listen, and maybe grow. James is saying, grow, man. Grow. What you look like today must change in the coming years. Our pastor used to say this to us all the time, and I think it's wonderful. He would say, every single year, I ought to look more like Jesus than I did last year. Every year, I ought to be able to look at my own heart and say, this is how God grew me this year. And if the Christian you are today is the Christian you were 10 years ago, we got a problem. You guys hear me? And, and to say again, to beat this home, we actually can't afford to be the Christians we are today. 10 years later, there are things coming that we have got to be sharpened for. Some of us always want to be the teacher. We always want to be the one talking. And sometimes that's a sign that you should never be the one talking. Um, We've we've got to be learners. I love, again, I've, I've told you that I've been... Uh, just kind of like poking around studying the, uh, the desert fathers. And, um, we've talked about them a bit the last couple of weeks and I love, uh, even Jerome last week, we talked about going to Didymus the blind and just, just to learn like a man who's very ma- what we would call mature in the faith is a scholar. He's studied, he's considered a leading, a leader in the, in the faith, still going to another man of God and just to learn, just to listen. Just so many of the desert fathers would go to another praying man and just, just listen, just sit and allow them to, to teach. And, and so many of us, we always want to be the teacher because we think we've arrived and it's detrimental to our walk with the Lord. We've got to be learners, lifelong learners and not just learners of information, but learners of heart postures, learners of the faith. Now, if, if I could challenge us here, before we go, I just challenge us in two ways. One, we're doing the last week of connect group signups this week. I want to challenge us to actually do fellowship with one another. That the, one of the ways God is going to grow us is as we walk with other believers through the hardships of life in challenges in disagreements, God is going to stretch us and mature us as we lean on other saints. I want to, I want to challenge us to not be the, the modern Western individual who sits on the back porch. You sit alone and you'll be left alone. 
we, we're going to have to. It's a Christian commandment to do community, to love each other, to grow. I want to challenge you when you leave today, if you're not signed up for a group, for a study, for some setting where you can do life with people, I always... I always say there, there's some of us, you feel like you've walked with the Lord for 40 years and you don't need to do a, another Bible study on whatever. Well, you probably do. Number one. Okay. You should read the Bible and study the Bible for the rest of your life. Um, but number two, there might be people in that study who actually need you, right? Like maybe it's not about what you can receive. Maybe it's about what you can give. And, and we're so self-absorbed. And our society feeds that in us. So I want to challenge us. Let's, let's do community. Let's actually grow as Christians and believe that God has something for us in the coming years that we're going to have to be a little more mature for. My second challenge for you is this. Learn to read your own handwriting. Get serious about holiness, is what it said. Um, let's 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 remember that the Spirit's aim for my life is Christ-likeness. My aim for my life cannot be to be left alone and stay exactly as I am. If we're going to get serious about holiness, we're going to have to embrace humility, be willing to be challenged, be willing to be wrong, to have hard conversations. We're going to have to lean into sermons, to Bible studies, to teaching, and actually expect the Lord to speak to us, to me. We need to grow in this area. We've got to get serious about holiness. All right, let me pray over the word, and then we'll do a little bit of ministry. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet if you're, if you're able. So, Lord, in Jesus' name... We ask that you would make us a people who welcome the ministry of the word. May the word of God have its full authority, its full power. May the word of God do accomplish all that it tends to accomplish in our hearts. Maybe just put your hand over your heart. Let's do that thing. Lord, in my heart, may the word of God pierce. May the word of God shape and mold in me. Lord, make me more like Jesus in the days to come. Forgive me, Lord, for acting as if I've arrived. Forgive me, Lord. We want more of you. We want to look like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all the saints say amen.